In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our brother, who has given us himself in the Eucharist, who has shown us the way to you, who has purchased for us the price of our redemption, and who with you have poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts, which has allowed us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I thought we would look at the Beatitudes for a minute. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus kicks off his famous Sermon on the Mount with these Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. So Matthew writing to the Jews, the mountain. The Jews are thinking Mount Sinai and all these different mountains of the Old Testament. So like God is going to speak now. <laughs> Jesus going up the mountain and he sits down as one having authority. So their ears are open. They are ready to listen. And how does Jesus kick this off? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's got, you might say, two parentheses for these Beatitudes that, that guarantee the kingdom here and now. The kingdom is here. When? When you're poor in spirit. For whom, you could say? For those who are poor in spirit. And for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So to be poor in spirit, we've already been talking about this. It's to be humble, it's to be in touch with our own neediness, to be childlike, is to be poor in spirit, to recognize that we are not God, <laughs> To recognize that God is the one who created me and who has a plan for me, is a purpose for me. He created me on purpose. It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose <laughs> and for a purpose. Some people like to say it's being in this or being Recognizing that I'm a beggar, I don't like to emphasize that too much because it has a negative connotation of sorts. But we do have to recognize our need. And again, I think it's hard, I don't know, it is for me anyway, it's hard sometimes to get over the hump 
of embracing my neediness. It's not easy to be poor in spirit. But at least it comes with a great promise. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is mine when I am poor in spirit. So he's promising to come. He's promising to answer. He's promising to make his presence felt. Doesn't mean that he's going to answer every one of my prayers the way I might be asking for it to be answered. But at least I know that my God is with me. My God is with me, like a mighty champion, as Jeremiah said. And I think we have all these different needs, and I'm going to read here just a second from Luke chapter 8. Two people with two particular needs that they came to the Lord with. Just to show us how God responds in, in these circumstances. But again, I invite you to get in touch with, with your, your desires, the deep desires of the heart. To be seen, to be known, to be loved, to belong, to have a purpose and a mission. That's a good desire too. To be a part of something, in other words, that's bigger than yourself. That you know that you have a part to play in, in some great purpose. And you do, you do. You've all answered a call, and you don't answer it by yourself, especially for those of you who are married, but even if you're not married, you're not alone, but you're a part of a great purpose. So perhaps for the wives, that's something for you to ponder. It might seem like you're behind the scenes, and maybe, maybe in many instances, that's the case. But nevertheless, you also play a part of a great purpose. Look at Mary. I mean, Mary lived a very hidden life, if you think about it. She was the mother of God. And yet, it's not that many people knew about Mary. She never preached a sermon. She never ran for politics. <laughs> you know, she never owned any big companies or anything like that, right? And yet, she's now the queen of heaven. <laughs> the queen of heaven and earth. We get used to hearing that, but it's really good to ponder for a minute. If anybody was poor in spirit, it was Mary. And her Magnificat is really a great model of prayer, too. Because she's, she's humble, she's poor in spirit, but she's telling the truth. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So I think a, a part of being poor in spirit is also giving God the credit, giving God the glory, giving him the credit. That's not to say that he hasn't done great things for me and for you. Mary was acknowledging that. In fact, all generations will call me blessed. That's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> but it was the truth. It was the truth. So Mary was in touch with the truth of who she was and who God was and is for her. So poor in spirit. These are graces. These are, these are favors that we have to ask for. So again, that's a, a great thing to petition God for. Lord, help me to be poor in spirit. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, please make my heart more like yours. Again, 
How do I change my heart, Father? Well, you, you don't. <laughs> God does. We can ask for it to be changed. So we have to have that willingness, that disposition. Lord, I want my heart to change. But I know I can't do it by myself. If we could just flip a switch, but we don't have that kind of control. I think sometimes underneath that desire for change is a desire to be in control, which we are not. So being poor in spirit is also recognizing that I'm not in control. God's in control. But that's not a bad thing. Not only is he in control, but he's got me. He's got my back. I have a great little story about that. So I don't even remember if I was a priest. I think I was relatively newly ordained. So this is you know several years ago. Getting on a plane, well, going up to the gate, and it was one of these, I think it was Southwest, so I didn't, at the time, I didn't have an assigned seat, didn't even have, uh, yeah, a number or anything like that. It was just ABC, and I was in C, and there was already a long line of people in C, in the C line to board the plane. I said, ah, forget it, I'll just be the last person on the plane, I don't care. We're not flying to Australia. So... <laughs> So last call, I get up, I'm the last person on the plane, and I'm expecting to have to go all the way to the back, sit in between two big guys next to the bathroom or something, you know? <laughs> and to my pleasant surprise, in about, I don't know, the third row, on the aisle was an open seat. And I'm looking down in disbelief as people walk in front of me, like, everyone passed up the seat? What, what happened? And the young family man in the middle seat looks up at me and says, yeah, Father, you can sit here if you don't mind being surrounded by some of my noisy kids. I said, ah, I'm, I'm good with that. So we struck up this conversation. Turns out he wanted to speak to a Catholic priest that week. He was flying back, back east. I think we were flying to Hartford, which is where my family was. And... So we have this really good conversation. He had fallen away from, from the Lord. He had a friend of the military who reintroduced him to the Lord through the scriptures. And so he had a lot of, a lot of questions. I think he was divorced and remarried. So, you know, he had a lot of stuff going on. And so we have this great conversation. So we land, and, and then he says to me, hey, I'd love to pray with you and my family, uh, if that's okay. I said, yeah, absolutely. I said, let's... Let's deep plane and I'll wait for you out at the gate. Okay. So I'm on the aisle, so I screw right out. I'm standing there waiting for this man and his family to come off the plane. When the young adult, the young man who is sitting right in front of me, comes, comes back to me, because he had deep planed faster than I did, but he saw me and he comes back after having started walking towards baggage claim. And he's looking white as a ghost. He's like, hey, Father, I just got to tell you something. The last time I flew was about three years ago, and one of the engines had caught on fire, and we nearly crashed. So I was really scared to get on the plane today, and I said a little prayer. I said, Lord, could you give me a sign just to show me that you got my back? <laughs> and then you came and sat down right behind me. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. And he turned away like he was just in total disbelief. How cool is that? How many people walked by that seat? And then I looked down at it and like, wow, look at this. And he just was, God was answering his prayer. So you never know. You just never know. He was expressing a need. He was in touch with his fear. Very real. Very, you know, logical. Perfectly legitimate. He was in touch with it, and he cried out, Lord, give me a sign that you got my back. Okay, that's easy. <laughs> really? That's easy. So let's look at Luke 8 for a minute. Luke 8, verse 40. Luke 8, verses 40 and following. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. 
And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay, here's, here's a desperate situation. As he went, the people pressed around him. And a woman, who had had a flow of blood for 12 years, and had spent all her living upon physicians, and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood ceased. So another desperate situation. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's just pause there for a minute. Her faith, her faith in the goodness of God, her faith in God's power to heal her, to change her. <clears throat> in this case, the change that she was looking for was a physical health issue. But it's just a good model for us to, to look at and to see how Jesus wants to help us in our need. And we may not have a physical health issue. Again, it could be a relationship. It could be our own emotional needs, our own desires for happiness, for wholeness, for peace, for forgiveness. God wants to fulfill our needs, our desires. It just takes faith. It just takes faith. And then it's true, as I said, sometimes what we're praying for exactly doesn't seem to be changing. You know, we, we bump up against that all the time. And whenever it involves human beings, well, <laughs> free will is always involved. So God, as I said, always respects human freedom. But it doesn't mean your prayer isn't being heard or even answered. It's just not happening right now. So sometimes we have to wait. That's true. But even in the waiting, we know that God is at work. He doesn't want us to lose hope or the desire. And sometimes he's having to move many different things. And sometimes that takes time. So again, it's the relationship with him through all of that that can mature. Sometimes our relationship with God can really mature in the waiting. And it's hard. That can be really difficult at times. But again, it's in those moments where our trust, our hope is being exercised. It's, it's where we're having to flex it. So it's, it's growing. It's growing. You, know, you might look at the situation of the church and of the world right now and, you know, God, help us. God, help us. We've got a war going on in Europe. We've got all kinds of crazy things going on. It's like, Lord, how long? How long? But that increases our hope. 
And hopefully it awakens in us a desire to be agents of change, to be light in the world, to be salt. And you're answering this call in what I would say is a prophetic time. It's not an easy time for the church. It's not an easy time for society. But I believe it's a prophetic time. I believe it's a time of change, of transition, of revival. I arrived to the Archdiocese five years ago, precisely when Archbishop Vigneron issued Unleash the Gospel. And when I first heard about it and, and read it, I was pleasantly surprised. Wow. How beautiful that the church came together for Synod 16, that much prayer and reflection went into this kind of discernment. And this document at least speaks to my heart, recognizing the difficult circumstances that we're in, but also recognizing that in Christ, we have the answer to the question that is every human life. We have a savior, we have a redeemer. He is our living hope, Jesus Christ, our living hope. And he is the way maker, he is at work. And I believe there is a great revival on the horizon. So funny, I just stumbled upon, some of you might be familiar with Bethel Church out in California. Bill Johnson is their head pastor. Well, his wife just passed. And apparently, she was having this personal devotion to the breaking of the bread to celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it's, now when I look on the internet, like there's all kinds of people that, had, that were touched by what she was doing. Obviously it's not the Blessed Sacrament, right? But there seems to be this revival for Holy Communion among, among Protestants. That they want to start celebrating communion every day. Tell me the Holy Spirit's not at work. The Catholic Church now, we're in this three-year Eucharistic revival, right? Y'all aware of that? And I just got wind. I don't know if it's, you know, I, we got to allow the church to go about her, uh, her tests and so on, but it, it seems like there's even a new Eucharistic miracle coming out of Mexico in the last couple days. The Eucharist appeared to be palpitating like a live human heart. And all people, you know, people pulled their phones out immediately and we're getting videos. So we'll, we'll wait and see about that. But we've got plenty of Eucharistic miracles that have already been approved. So we have this faith in the Blessed Sacrament, in the Lord, in his church. And now he's wanting to bring revival. Pope St. John Paul II talked about the new springtime of evangelization. A new Pentecost at the Second Vatican Council, John the 23rd opened the Second Vatican Council with this prayer where he was invoking the Holy Spirit upon the church, praying for a new Pentecost. So if we think back, I like to think back to the first Pentecost. Well, what preceded the first Pentecost? Well, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? So I think it's safe to say we're going through a passion right now of sorts. The church has been in this time of suffering and purification. I believe in preparation for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring about revival. And I think a great communion among Christians, I think there will be great unification of Christians that happens as well. How that's all gonna look, I don't know. But it's just a sense. 
But that also has to happen in each and every one of us. We are the mystical body of Christ. So that same kind of purification, sanctification, transformation is something that God wants to bring about in each and every one of you. God created all of you in his image and likeness. And he is holy. Amen? Amen. So you're all called to be saints in your own right. You know, today we've got Solanus Casey that we're honoring. And here in Detroit, we've all come to know him and love him. Well, he was a saint in his own way. But you're called to be a saint in your own way in your life you have a unique path you have a unique story a sacred story that God wants to be very much involved in intimately involved in he wants to animate it with his spirit with his love with his light So if we all continue to respond to that, wow, the fire just spreads then, little by little. Jesus said, right, I came to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already blazing. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's his love. There's this Italian mystic, and I remember reading something that she wrote, and I think it was God the Father, supposedly speaking to her he said look I purified the world the first time with water at the flood I purified it the second time in a big way with the blood of my son when he died on the cross I'm getting ready to purify it again with the fire of the Holy Spirit it's, it's an exciting time to be a, a Christian Father Ricardo likes to Say, right? You were born for this. Quoting uh, St. Joan of Arc, I think, right? You were born for this. We were born for this. But it's not something that we can just go about with our human talents. And there's a spiritual battle going on. I think you all recognize that. There's a spiritual battle. And that battle is not fought with guns and swords and bombs. It's fought with prayer and love. It's fought with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So we have to approach that every day with faith, with a spirit of faith. And that's why Jesus said here, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. All right, let's keep going. While he was still speaking, a man from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she shall be well. And when he came to the house, he permitted no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and bewailing her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So a very desperate situation. She's already dead. Don't bother. You're gonna you're gonna encounter desperate situations. And we all encounter them personally. But in, in, in your parish, in your ministry, there's gonna be desperate situations. but we can face them with hope, with faith, with love. And when we do that, we never lose, really. 
we never lose. Love never fails. Love never fails. So you can pray for healing, you can pray for conversion, you can pray for all kinds of things. They may not always happen the way you were praying for, but when you pray with love like that, when you engage with love, you never fail. Because our ultimate healing is in heaven, we can't forget that. Our ultimate home, our ultimate healing is in heaven. We have to have that perspective we're the church militant, but the church triumphant is what our ultimate destiny is. It really helps to keep that in mind as well. That's our ultimate destiny. But as I like to say, our goal as Christians is not just to get to heaven. I know that might be scandalous for some people to hear, but I like to say that on Sundays every once in a while. Yeah. How many of you are trying to get to heaven? You know, of course, we all want to get to heaven. But that is not the ultimate goal of your Christian life. I said, because heaven's going to come down onto this altar here in just a few minutes. So then what? You know, heaven is actually coming to you. Oh, you know, it helps to just reframe it sometimes for people. And when you receive Holy Communion, what are you receiving? Well, a little bit of heaven, right? So then what's the goal? What's the goal? Well, to be transformed, to become another Christ, to become all that God created me to be. So you could say, to be a saint, to become loved, to be transformed by God into a reflection of God himself that he himself created in me. To love the way that God loved me, that's the new commandment, right? So that's what speaks to our goal as Christians. Jesus said it. I give you a new commandment. You could say, I give you a new goal. <laughs> Love one another as I have loved you. <coughs> and when you do that, there's just going to be all kinds of good things that happen around you. The ripple effect. I have a friend of mine who likes to come back to me and tell me about the Father Jason ripple effect in her family because she's had a pretty big second conversion of sorts. I mean, she's been a practicing Catholic her whole life, but she's definitely discovered a new friendship with God in these last several years. And that's having a very positive ripple effect in her family and in her work and so on. That's what love does, isn't it? That's what love does. Love changes our lives. God's love changes our lives. And then as we love on others the way that God has loved on us, that's what changes lives. And that's what brings about the kingdom. That's what brings about the kingdom. And that will be met with persecution. That will be met with resistance at times. But we just keep on loving. Mother Teresa's got that great litany. If you've never heard that, I don't have it memorized. But you know, people are going to criticize you for doing good. Do good anyway. Do good anyway, you know. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. So let's do a little exercise here, a little activation again, just to engage our imagination. I like to call it the front door exercise. 
So I want you all to just put your pens down. You can close your eyes. And imagine the front door at your house. And you're standing inside the front door. And just imagine what that front door looks like. What colors the door? What's it made out of? What colors, you know, what kind of a floor do you have there in front of the front door? Are there pictures? Are there shelves? Is there a chandelier? What kind of lighting? What kind of decor do you have? So what we're doing is we're engaging our imagination right now. Because some people say, Father, I don't have an imagination. <laughs> I'm not very creative. Or... So this gets the imaginative juices flowing. You just think about your front door. Anybody, I think, can just imagine what their front door looks like. And just imagine yourself standing there then. Imagine standing just inside your front door. And you're going to have a visitor come to your front door. It's going to be Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is going to knock on your door. And he's going to wait for you to open the door. I could quote here Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, to just get us in the right frame of mind here. Jesus says here in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So we are going to take Jesus up on his promise. We're going to make an act of faith here. He's knocking on the door of your heart. So this front door that you're imagining that's symbolic of the door of your heart. And on the count of three, Jesus is you know, knocking one, two, three. And so on the count of three, we're going to open the door and receive Jesus. And just... You know, imagine Jesus there. Use your imagination. Let the Holy Spirit help you use your imagination to imagine Jesus knocking on the door and you opening the door to Jesus. And then we're going to welcome him in. Okay, so Holy Spirit, help us out with this, please. Help us to imagine Jesus at the door knocking and letting us letting him in sanctify our imaginations Holy Spirit so one, two, three Jesus is knocking you can just reach out and open the door and there's Jesus smiling He opens his arms to embrace you. Come on in, Jesus. Just give him a nice big hug. He's happy to see you. Where would you where would you like to invite him to sit down? You can take him to wherever you would like to sit down. Maybe you want to take him back outside. It's a nice day, perhaps, and you want to sit on the deck or on the porch or the patio. Maybe you want to sit down in the living room or maybe go into the kitchen and 
have something to eat there at the, at the table or at the island. Maybe you want to take them to your prayer corner if you have one, or your war room if you have one. Jesus, thank you for coming. And he just affirms you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for letting me in. Thank you for opening the door. I love to be here with you. I love to share my heart with you. sees you. Notice how he's gazing at you. With great care. With great affection. And let your mind and hearts unite in that look of love and that gaze. Be in communion, be in union in that place. Just let him fulfill your desire to be seen, to be known, to be loved, to be cherished, to be affirmed. You don't have to say anything. He's happy to be here. He's happy to be here with you. loves you. He cares about you. He wants to help you. He knows what's on your heart, what's on your mind. He knows the burdens that you carry. He knows what tends to weigh you down at times, what weighs on your heart. And he's just inviting you now to share those things with him. He doesn't want you to carry that burden by yourself. says to you, I'd like to help you with that. My yoke is easy and my burden light. <coughs> the yoke of my friendship. I'm here to walk with you. I've got your back. I'm leading you. I chose you because I wanted you. I love to spend this time with you. 
I love to hold you. I love to support you. I love to include you. You can give me your fears, any shame, any guilt, any worries. I gladly take that all. to forgive you anything that you need forgiveness for don't be afraid to ask any struggles that you have right now don't be afraid to talk to me about those struggles don't be embarrassed You can be honest with me. I'm not gonna turn away from you. I'm not gonna make fun of you. I'm not gonna be hard on you. You've been pretty hard on yourself. And I don't want you to be so hard on yourself. following me. You are the joy of my heart. I love everything about you. I remember the day I created you with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We rejoiced over you. We sing a song of praise over you. There's never been anybody like you, and there will never be anybody like you. You are a, re you are a unique reflection of our love, of our goodness, truth, and beauty. You are a unique blend of truth, goodness, and beauty that I share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I delight in you. this time that we have together. I relish these opportunities to bless you, to heal you, to comfort you. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. to just be here with you. It's no problem. You're not a burden. You're not a bother. I'm not too busy to be with you. with you in this embrace. I like to give you rest. I like to give you peace. 
it's true that we do have a mission to accomplish. But the greatest mission that we have together is this friendship, our relationship. And everything else will flow from this space of intimacy, of friendship. And as you go out, as I send you out, as I sent the apostles, you are to help bring people back into this embrace that we share now with the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is the kingdom. This is heaven on earth. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to have this intimacy with me. It's true that in heaven it will be fully realized and possessed. But you don't have to wait. You can start to have heaven on earth even in the midst of the trials and tribulations. We can have this contact and this connection on a regular basis. You can discover me in all things because it is in me and through me that all things exist and have their being. So you can find me everywhere. I will always be with you. I will go with you wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you an orphan. I am in you and you are in me. 